space, the final frontier. Joy be to you, friends. Are you of the body? Kim, are you of the body? Hells no. No, let's get the fuck off this planet immediately. <laughs> Not of the body! <laughs> Welcome to episode 21 of Not So Much the Neutral Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies, where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am your host, Corrine of the Body, joined as ever by Kim, not of the Body. Hello. And Ari, not of the Body. Enthusiastically, hello. Corrine <laughs> would like to be absorbed into one particular body into this episode. <laughs> Can you guess who? For the record, we got like 30 seconds in before her first Shatner sexual harassment. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It's this That's a new record. little tie that he's got. And he's in the <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I love <laughs> pompadour haircut. <laughs> I lost a little bit of respect for you, Kareem. You still had them on this front? <laughs> you fool. Welcome to Return of the Archons. Episode 21 aired, uh, where we go down to a planet which will definitely 100% not remind you at all of A Wrinkle in Time. Definitely not. No, not in any way. And part of what I like to call the sexy subgenre as Kirk outsmarts a computer by sheer schmarm. <laughs> He just shouted at it until it exploded. Yep. <laughs> he could do the same to me, frankly. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, this episode deals with a lot of Soviet overtones oh, yeah. and undertones. Uh-huh. I think no one here is surprised. No. No, and it's hard to... Like, this was aired in 1967. Mm-hmm. It's still Cold War. People were afraid of losing... Freedom and freedom apparently here is defined by being able to bonk and gnaw on whoever's neck you would like to, but only for like one evening in every whatever. Apparently, it's every once a year you get to gnaw on everyone. What's the awful movie? I want to say that Ethan Hawke is in it. The Purge. Yeah, it's basically this. This is the Purge. Yeah, I've no idea. I haven't seen it. It's the same kind of conceit. For once a year, people can go crazy and do whatever crimes they want. Except in that movie, they weren't being like made to do it by an evil computer. Spoiler alert, Ari. Oh, come on. So we start this episode with Sulu on O'Neill. And as a cold open, I was kind of surprised to see Sulu. It was nice. I was delighted. Very nice to see Sulu. Um, I was not delighted to see what he is wearing, which is like a cavalier musketeer outfit. It was like very colonial. He had a tricorn hat. Yeah. I was actually really pleased with the tricorn hat. The rest of it, I could take her leave. There was like a moof. A moof of I thought he carried that off quite well with a little lace. I'm rough not thing. denying that he didn't look good in it. It's just that <laughs> this is clearly happening in the Wild West times, and well, he well no, they were very sort of Victorian-y sort of boots. I don't know what that was meant to be. The only thing that got him worked up once he got back on the ship was the fact that he was wearing the wrong outfit. He was right. It didn't make any sense, and we know that they can kind of look down onto planets, so. Guys, um, this was also 
point of fact, filmed on the 40 Acres back lot, which they filmed Miri on. Yep. Obviously spiffed it up and hosed it down a little bit. Vacuumed. <laughs> Vacuumed would have helped. Yeah. Also where they filmed Gone with the Wind. Oh, lovely. I love Gone with the Wind. I would have rather watched Gone with the Wind. Oh, so good. <sighs> so as soon as we stopped this episode, I don't usually like to give away many of my thoughts for the episode because I like to save it for the podcast. And Ari and I are roommates, but I will admit that I turned to her and gave two thumbs up and said, I loved it! <laughs> Yeah. She was not surprised. No, I, I watched this. I was like, yeah, Corinne's going to love this. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. yeah. It's a great episode. I feel like an asshole because I never like anything. <laughs> no, you like nothing. That's why you're here, Kim. <laughs> to provide a little bit of the balance of the enthusiasm, I thought this was a great episode. And it's one of the episodes where I can definitely see the flaws in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the many, many, many flaws. But the parts are greater than the sum of the whole. Yeah, I wasn't overly distracted by them, like, in a lot of episodes that I really like but have huge flaws in them. I wasn't so bothered that it took me out of stuff. No, and I think this episode really clipped along. Mm -hmm. Really? (laughs) Oh my god, I was so bored. Every five minutes, there's another crazy revelation. It didn't make any sense. It was not a complicated story. No. Robots did it. Yeah. One robot. One robot. A computer did it. Computers are evil, which again, we have seen is the theme. Computers cannot be trusted (laughs) at all because they have no... Creativity. Oh, right. Creativity equals freedom. Freedom equals good. There's also a a sort of sneaky under-conversation about whether it's actually just a computer or whether it's like a fucked up version of an AI. Because it's somebody's memories in a computer. So it's like they never really settled on whether it was a person or not. It just wasn't acting enough like a person to lead a society very well. And that was why it was enough of a computer that Kirk could make it explode by yelling at it, which only usually works when you get machines with him. But it was, it had been programmed essentially with, and I apologize in advance, I'm going to call this guy Landrew, but I'm also often going to call him Landau, because of (laughs) Martin Landau and the X-Files revival, and uh, yeah. So just roll with it. Anyways, that Landrew programmed it with his personality, Mm -hmm. but that it didn't have the necessary synapses in place to have creativity that it couldn't problem solve and so it just tried to control everything by keeping it how it was stasis in stasis it's also there was a lot of that it was it might have been a person it might have been for lack of a better word human at one point like the person who made it was a person but that it lacked some indefinable quality that makes something human instead of just a machine containing the memories of a person. Mm. No, I I get that. And this is also the first time that we have a mention of the Prime Directive. Mm -hmm. Very first time. That annotated version of the Prime Directive. Yeah, Yeah, that I was excited about. I think I actually got got, the caps and underlining in my notes when that happened. Yeah, and it's not the Prime Directive that we're used to. It has very severe qualifications. It was the Prime Directive as interpreted by Kirk. Yeah, I thought he was editorializing. I think that they hadn't quite figured out what yeah. it was, um, which is essentially the principle of non-interference in other cultures yeah. that um, have not reached the level of development of the starship in question. Yes. Where 
this is the kind of bizarre situation where at some point it's evident that they had yeah. reached the technological... And then gone backwards. And then regressed for whatever reason, and we figure out yeah. that essentially there's a clog in the drain, and that clog is a giant computer. Yeah. So technically they weren't violating the Prime Directive, but they don't know that at the time. I would love to have seen Picard. Does Picard ever argue a computer to death? I don't think so. Not that I recall. I think only James Kirk had that skill. Mm, it's a yeah. very, it's a very old sci-fi trope. Yeah, it the is. arguing the com- you're too human for the computer to to really beat you because that's just it's always down to some. Well, you're, fundamentally, it's because you're a human and it's a machine. Yeah, well, you introduce a paradox and it cannot compute. And again, we're yeah. dealing with 1960s computers, which are yeah. very much in ones and zeros. Yeah. Yes, no. Yeah. So there's not a lot of gray area. So when you try to introduce gray area or something that yeah. is. I swear to God, this is the plot of, like, a Da Vinci Code knockoff book. Um, (laughs) That if you could have computers to hold both things simultaneously, um, like, black and white at the same time, that you would rule the world? Sure. Vague memories. I don't think that happens in the Da Vinci Code. But the but the introducing a paradox or giving a computer a problem it can't solve, and basically, like you said, talking it to death until its brain explodes is very, very classic sci-fi. Yeah, trope. and I loved it. Oh yeah. So we start this strangely uh, with Sulu running around with someone named O'Neill, mm-hmm. who is definitely about to get himself killed. Oh yeah, because he's an idiot. Yes, and they are being chased by. Robed figures. Robed figures. But if you take a look at their costumes later, because we do get uh, we do get a really good look at them, they have definite bonnet tops. Oh, yeah. Huge bonnet cloaks. Which are there to make sure that the hood pushes up far enough in their face that you can't see their faces. I swear to goodness, they have pantyhose over their face. Well, they're, it's either that or, well, I assume it's actually pantyhose over their faces. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. My first instinct, of course, because these these creepy robe guys who don't run, they just walk, which is actually creepier. I found these guys. Oh yeah, they were scary. Scary, Um, but you don't actually see their faces. When you look at them, the faces look blurry. And my first instinct, of course, was like, oh, they use they just digital whatever it out. Except no, (laughs) idiot, it's 1967. So yeah, I think pantyhose over their faces is the most likely. I thought they were super effective. So we're in this kind of old timey Wild West town, and Sulu and O'Neill are running away. Really, really clean. So clean. Also, Sulu's in the wrong outfit from the wrong time period. Well, he's got like six different time periods in his outfit. It's just sort of old-timey. Sulu, you should know better. And these weird, cloaked, face-obscure figures are slowly walking towards them. Yeah. Doo-doo. And then one of them pokes Sulu with their rod. Yeah. Gross. intended. Uh, and they mention some guy named Landrew, and that he is not of the body. Yeah. They manage to beam Sulu up, who gets onto the transporter bay and immediately starts stripping and then tripping. Well, no, yeah. before, before that even happens, though, Sulu and O'Neill are, like, huddled in a corner going, what do we do? What do we do? And Sulu wants to say, uh, O'Neill is basically not doing a very good job at acting and panicking in the most calm, deadpan manner I think I have ever seen in my life. He's just like, oh no, we should run. We need to get out of here. Now. It was so bad. There Such is, bad acting. There is good acting that happens in this episode. It is not from him. No. <laughs> no I was just like, 
stop. <laughs> I could not figure out what he was doing, honestly. Yeah. At a certain point, after being really calm and suave about the situation, he just books it. Yeah. Yeah, and Sulu's like, no, we have to stay here. They're going to beam us up. And he's like, fuck that. He just runs off. And, of course, Sulu is unfortunately wrong because they beam him up, but not quite in time. He gets rotted first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. He gets a rod right in the middle. And so he beams back up, and Kirk kind of takes him in the manly way that Kirk does take everyone. And says, what was all that about? And Sulu says, oh, they're the sweetest, friendliest people. Where's O'Neill? In paradise. But mixed in with there, he also flies at some guy and is like, you gave us the wrong clothes. That he got angry about that. But then he's back to calm and serene. No, I thought he was saying you're not of the body. Yeah. No, he was like, you gave us the wrong clothes. He was mad. And we're back. After reviewing the play, the flag has gone to Kim. Thank yes. you. Sulu says they knew we were archons, they knew by our clothes, and then he throws it at what I assume is like the some archaeologist. No, Lindstrom? Is that Lindstrom? That's Blondie. That's Blondie who just wants to argue about everything down on the planet. That's true. Lindstrom? I don't know. I don't know anybody's name. I don't know that episode. he gets a name. He's Blondie. Lindstrom? He's yeah. Blondie. <laughs> it's not important. Lindstrom? Is that you? Yeah. So, we reviewed it. Just remind me how much I love this episode, and I think it's fantastic. Because <laughs> you've got a little bit of a mystery. They knew we were Archons. What's an Archon? Sulu has obviously been, like, mind-jacked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did they do that? What are the creepy monks? It's a great cold open. It is, it is. It is. I'd say one yeah. of the best in Star Trek. Definitely one of the best so far. It asks so many questions. It does. And we end with this uh, close-up on Sulu's face, which never happens. No. Staring beatifically into space. Yeah, when it's not Kirk. Yeah. (laughs) Staring beatifically at his own reflection. (laughs) Yeah. So it is Stardate 3156.2. They are on planet Beta 3, and they're looking for the Archon starship. The USS Archon, which disappeared... And here I'm going to have a slight pause and we're going to have to have a little bit of a discussion. A hundred years ago. Yeah. Yes. And this is, for me, one of the big problems I had with the episode. If this ship vanished a hundred years ago, why aren't you scanning for wreckage? Why are you dressing in costumes to mix with the native population to try and find it? That made zero sense. I think it actually does make sense of why they would beam down and pretend to be... uh of the culture because of the prime directive of not to interfere. Yeah. So you couldn't beam down and say, hey, hey, guys, we're from the future. I mean, like, why they what's do it, up? That's why they do it that way later. Yes. When they infiltrate. What I mean, it is usually because, you know, anthropologists have accidentally gotten kidnapped by the local populace. A ship crashed and confused the local populace. So it's time to play dress up. Yes, which I love as a device. Me too. Um, all the time. I thought in this case it was extremely flimsy. Well, I assumed that they had tracked the ship here. Or that there had been some kind of beacon. Because they knew that it had crashed on Beta 3. I think so. But my question is why wait a hundred years? Like, what? You couldn't get around to it until now? But it could have been one of those discovery ships that they sent off. Oh, I have a theory. Okay. Okay. So we know that the Constitution class, which goes out as far as the Enterprise does, yeah. and as it is fast as the Enterprise does, is a relatively recent development. Yes. Like, both by actual facts that we've been given and the way that Kirk and others talk about the current state of the fleet. Yeah. So before the Constitution class, I don't actually know this, I really want to go back and look it up, but not enough to actually stop again. Um, but that before the Constitution class starships, 
exploration and like policing and all the other stuff that the Enterprise does was like not just a five-year mission, but like a 10, 20-year mission. It was something you set off and you did not expect to come back because you were traveling impossible distances. And warp drive reaching the level that it has at this point has actually taken what were impossible distances and made them merely very long. So maybe they really couldn't get a ship out here until now. I actually really like that theory because I thought that the whole point of the Enterprise was a goat in space that had not been well explored or discovered. Yeah. So the fact that maybe the Archon starship had been sent out on essentially like a mission from which they were pretty well not guaranteed of making it back within one generation. Yeah. And they'd received reports up until the point when they got to Beta 3 and then they stopped. That's fine and I'm willing to buy that except that the Archons had basically, or anybody who was on the ship had basically nothing to do with the plot other than being like something that happened a while ago. But they did because they were not of the body. And it was the last big upset this culture had experienced. Exactly. And so that was the first time in, I think we're going to say 6,000 years that outsiders had ever come to this planet. And as far as we know, Landru, thank you, has been in charge for 6,000 years. Yeah. So it is necessary, and that all the people know of kind of like the myth of the Archons. And it sounds mm-hmm. kind of like the Argonauts, right? Yeah. The Argonauts that went around, had adventures, and stole stuff. Um, so I like the kind of mythology Stirred there. up trouble. Yeah, is, and they, they recognize this as, as invaders. As, as yeah. They were, they were a precipitating them. event, because the impression that you get later is also that the Archons, that, that ship crashing, the people from that ship coming into that society and, and making all of these ripples were one of the precipitating events for what we find out is a rebel underground. Bah, 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 just like in Star Wars. So for whatever reason, um, logical or not, of why they are here at this planet investigating, what is totally illogical is beaming down every single main character we have <laughs> to poke around at yeah. this place where people apparently can mind wipe you. Yeah, he, he's he's doing this log entry and he's like, so blah, 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 means that obviously I must beam down to the larger party and I just have three question marks written here. <laughs> yeah, because there was no logic behind this. No. no. Obviously the Archons aren't there. Like the crew of the Archon is not there. They've been dead for a hundred years. We don't know what happened to them. Yeah. But I like this is really the central conceit in Star Trek that makes no sense, is that you beam your captain down ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that Next Generation had to deal with the legacy of, like, Kirk the Explorer, who really should be taking care of the ship, of which he is a captain. Well, you yeah. hear a lot of mentions of there being, like, if not rules, then very strong conventions, that a captain does not go on away parties most of the time. And Why would you? He's the captain yeah. of the ship. Well, I mean, but you also get the impression that a lot of those sorts of rules were made because of Kirk. <laughs> like, I mean, there is the whole conversation when Picard and Riker first meet in Encounter at Farpoint. Like, Picard goes into, he goes into it with Riker and he actually ends up telling him one of the reasons I selected you as my first officer is because you refused to let your captain beam down to the planet. Mm-hmm. And like you, you were like a fucking dick about it. Yeah, good job. <laughs> that really does get you ahead in Starfleet, even like 80 years later. Apparently, but who cares? Logic aside, illogic in the trash bin because mm-hmm. everyone looks dapper as Fuck. It's true. It's true. I wrote down that it looked like Victorian Undertakers. Okay, I love Spock's little cloak thing. Okay, I retract that. Everyone looks dapper as fuck, except for Spock, who's dressed in a cloak. No, no, wait, wait, wait. The weird I have side swept. No, hang on. I have a word here. Uh-huh. Yes, Kim. Hat. 
clearly they have some on board. They gave one to Sulu. Why couldn't Spock just wear a fucking hat? Well, they, they had tricorn hats. They did not have a bowler hat. No, that's true. Although, I, I don't know. This is one of the first times that we see the progressively more hilarious attempts when they do this pretend to be part of the local populace mm. thing. The, progr- the, the more and more hilarious with every passing instance attempts to hide Spock's ears. Which, as we will grant to Kim, hats. Hats. Well, it reminds me of what they did with Tilk in SG-1, where he's always wearing a hat or, like, a headband or, or a helmet or something, and it's funny every single time. It is funny Because every you know time. exactly what's under the But the cloak seemed odd. Out of place. Overkill. Well, I think that's what it's supposed to be, but poncho, maybe? I really liked the little weird side-swept hood thing, actually. It was very, like, sexy mod. But yeah. But out of place when everyone had beamed down from yeah, no old-timey West. Old-timey West. Uh, and some guy who, I swear to God, looks exactly like I imagined Satan to look like. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw him, I visibly started. Um, he's just pale and sweaty, and his eyes are oh, red-rimmed, and his guy. teeth are pointy. And he walks up to them with this stilted, creepy smile on his way, face. Way, way too much enthusiasm. You let him just sitting you. as he talks. Joy to you. He's Satan. He's very creepy. It's so scary. None of this episode scared me as much as that guy's face. Oh, yeah. Well, the given what happens about five minutes after we meet him, it would make sense if he weren't the only one acting like that. Because like, we meet two or three people. Everyone is scary. They walk very in a very sedate, paced manner. Yeah, except for this guy. He does. Like, you almost get the impression that the actor was like, so in about five minutes, you're all going to freak out and attack each other. And it was like, he was acting with that in mind, except no one else went that direction with that. uh, Yeah. No, no, I thought he did a good job because he's a little bit strange. Like, joy to you. Oh, you come here for the festival? Yeah. Uh, He definitely seemed alien. Good job. Yeah. I guess. You need a place to stay, but all that's fine. Um, Okay, wait, hang on a second. Now that you say the word alien... Yes. Are these, is this supposed to be, like, the, Kirk keeps talking about humans at the end when he's talking about reverting their society back to, like, a human normal. Mm-hmm. Are we supposed to be under the impression that this is just a bunch of humans who are hanging out on this planet? Or are they supposed to be an alien culture? I think that, and again, that's one of the weird conceits of Star Trek, is that there are humans throughout the galaxy. Long well, ago in a galaxy far, far away. Except later on, um, they don't call them humans. They call them humanoid. And we're yeah. just supposed to believe that these were people who just happened to evolve to look exactly like humans. I chose to believe that when Kirk, because he doesn't do it until the end when he's yelling at the computer, that when he says human, he's using it in like a metaphorical sense. Question. Does Star Trek have a weird founding myth yes. like Stargate does, where aliens picked it's up and essentially the dropped same. humans? Stargate basically took it from Star yes. Trek. Yes. Okay. So yeah. in my understanding, it is that they are humans... She's doing air quotes. Oh yeah, sorry. (laughs) Humans, but that they have a different culture. Mm -hmm. So... And they have no... Biologically they are human, but culturally they are alien. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that they are actually humans, but to the point where they're an alien race that may may as well be human. Because we see an awful lot of... Of humanoid aliens, like the yeah. Betazoids are yeah. essentially... Yeah, Betazoids look, look they're human. They're human, yeah. they just have a little bit of tweak to them. Yeah. And black eyes. 
Yeah, black guys, yeah. Do they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of them? Yep. yep. Really? Yep. yep. They, they all, all wearing we contacts? Meet, yeah. Yeah, they have black eyes. Ex- yeah. Except- we, meet, we meet maybe a half a dozen data always speaking parts yeah. in, in all of Star Trek. But yeah, that, that's just a thing that they decided to do. They all have black eyes. It was so subtle, I noticed it not at all. Yeah, but I bet you notice it like crazy now. Yeah. I won't be able to stop noticing it. So Satan comes up to them and says, oh, you're here for the festival. It's almost the red hour. And then... He's really creepy. Oh, he is the scariest person I've he, ever seen on TV. He, he's acting like he's about to lose it any second. He looks like he's about to pull out a knife and either like slice himself or start dicing up everyone in sight. Yeah. Um, he's the only one again. <laughs> everyone else is like, super sedate. Oh, well, how lovely. And... Same. I had no strong feelings about him either way. Really? It yeah. was shocking, actually. Of all, and I've watched a lot of murder, and I don't watch like hardcore murder where there's like cozy dicey, but like cozy murder where bad people get murdered, and sometimes good people get murdered. <laughs> but then there is ruthless re- revenge. Yes, so it's exactly. okay. I thought he was just so distinctive looking, so that they could point him out again at the end. He's all sweaty and shaking. He looks scary. He yeah. looks like. Satan. He's like that guy if he comes up to you to ask directions on the SkyTrain platform at like 11 o'clock at night, you'll be like, oh, sorry, I'm late and I have to go. Oh, no. If he showed up at the crossroads at night. Oh, God. Yeah. You'd really want like a pocket full of salt. Oh. Yeah. So the red hour is coming, which is apparently noon, and everyone keeps the same clock regardless of whether they orbit around the sun or not. It was six o'clock. It was six o'clock. Was it? Yeah. Didn't notice. Um, but anyway. They gave a close up on the clock. Like I thought it said six o'clock. Apparently, I am not good at able to tell time. Analog <laughs> clock. Analog clocks. So retro. And so the Satan motions over a girl who has the weirdest camera blur on her. Yeah. It looked like, you know, the beginning of Murder She Wrote on the credits where they have that weird. The sort of vignette thing. Yeah. yeah. It was essentially that on her face, which mm-hmm. I did but not they, understand. It was like trying to give her soft lighting. I, I honestly did not notice that there was anything weird about her. It was odd. Oh, it was so odd. Kim, afterwards, I will... We will look over that together because I feel like you should really know this. It almost looked like she was in a desert or something like that. <laughs> it was... Yeah. It was a funny lens blur effect. It was thing. a very funny lens blur, but I think it was because, like, everyone's, like... They look so sedate, but underneath they have crazy eyes. Yeah. Like, they're just vibrating with... Because they're not really that calm. They're being made to be that calm. Now, I don't yes. remember her name. I just wrote her down as Ginger Daughter. Yeah, T- Ginger Daughter. Wasn't it Tulula? Tula. Tula. Aha, like tulips. And they're like, oh, we're... They're like, oh, you must be from the valley. Sure. Like, absolutely, we're just yeah, from the valley. the valley. And then... The clock strikes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kareem. <laughs> and everyone loses their fucking mind. Yeah. It is crazy. Yeah. It's so, you know how Kirk tends to lose his shirt all the time? You're like, how did that happen? In this one, they show you how people are losing. People are rendering garments left and right tearing them off. People are bashing them overhead on the clubs. There are men who just, like, lift up a woman and are like, hoi hoi! And the lady's like, ah! Um, people are... <laughs> what was that? Gnawing on each other's... They're gnawing on each other's neck. There's one scene where a guy is, like, making out with her neck and he's like... Okay, stop trying to make the noise. And it is... 
crazy. Yeah, it's genuinely scary. It's like because it's it goes so quickly from like unnaturally sedate to like all out fucking crazy violence. It's like yeah, you, your head spins. You would say it would be comic violence, but it isn't. No. Like people are throwing rocks into. They're jumping into windows. Yeah, and the part that I found most disturbing is like, oh yeah, the men are just running around hoisting ladies on their shoulder yeah. and carrying them off to do, oh, I think we all know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the ladies are like, yes, I am! Some of them are. Ah! There's lots of, like, tongue action and wide eyes. and It's scary all around. And barrels on fire. Yeah, fires are everywhere immediately. Yes. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> this town goes from zero to ten in the stock of twelve clocks. It's crazy. Um, and... They our, die crew, for a our crew just pause for a moment and go, holy shit. Oh. <laughs> Let us remove ourselves from this situation. And they run to the nearest building and dive inside. Yes, and lock the door. And thankfully, they found the place where they were going to stay anyways. And there is Regger and his posse of two other old white guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, are you here for the festival? What kind of fucking festival is this? <laughs> This is not the way I usually apply I the word festival. I was not actually clear if this was the festival this or the if festival. this was like the preamble to the festival. Yeah, I was not completely clear at all if this was something that happens on the regular or if this was like a one-time thing or I felt this part was really ill-defined. I think it's every year. Yeah, cuz they they cuz they're they're totally fine with the you know, our crew being there for the festival, like having come from far away. So it does not seem like something that happens on the regular. No, I think it, I think Korean's right. I think it's like an annual thing. Yeah. And there was uh, a lost plot to it where I want to say Lindstrom because it's the only name I can catch on to was going to have a romance with Tula. Oh, is that why he's constantly going around, but your daughter's out there. I'm like, yeah. why the fuck do you care, buddy? <laughs> you saw her for five seconds. Everyone was doing it. And then she ripped off her shirt and ran screaming down the street. <laughs> yeah. And then was kidnapped by a guy. Great first impression. This is like Hellenic orgy levels of yeah. just violent nonsense. And these guys seem to be like, oh, young people these days. Who yeah, doesn't yeah. have a... And here's the thing. And Lindstrom, for lack of anyone else, is like, but your daughter, and she's clearly being assaulted. Is that how babies get born in this society? Oh, God. Well, I don't know. And I felt like, because we don't really have any context to this festival or how how often it, like, I, I really did not, was not clear at all that it was only a once a year thing or whatever. Mm. I thought they were being really judgy, like the Enterprise crew. Like, they walked in here with absolutely no cultural context, and they, like everybody seemed to know exactly what was going to happen, and they stopped, and they waited for it, and then they went for it. Except, except people are being about, raped and murdered. Yeah, and about three seconds after they walk in, and the old guys are like, uh, you're supposed to be outside. You're not. They say they're not old enough to be excused. Yes. Um, and, you know, what? sociologist guys like your daughter's out there do you think you should do something and all three of them look terrified yeah and he says i know it is the will of landrew yeah and there's this atmospheric shift where you're like oh this sounds really bad that's because it is it is very bad yeah so everyone has super weird accents which i appreciated in there was accents well, yeah it's a very subtle very, very a very odd cadence i yeah. didn't get 
anything out of this episode. This episode at all. This is an A plus. A plus. I actually watched this episode at a reasonable hour of the night. I was watching this at like eight thirty instead of like. 2 a.m. like I normally do. And I was just so bored through the entire thing. It oh reminded me of very... It's a very... Um, it's sort of the old Hollywood American where when they started doing... Well, they, they go over this in Singing in the Rain where they have oh. the over-enunciating yeah, American yeah. English. So it sounds like vaguely English cadence American English. It is That's what it strange. sounds like. And it reminded me specifically of Logan's Run. I've never seen Logan's Run. Okay, we have to watch Logan's Run because that's a travesty. But um, it basically it's a society. never seen Logan's Run. I'm gonna fix it. It's fine. Does he run very fast? Oh, or God. does he run Cream. very slow? Or is it more of like a run in his stockings? Okay. Like a run, I can't. Is I can't it like listen a pun to you run? talk like this anymore. And it's funny because Logan's Run comes out in 1976, so it's like some time separated from this. But it's a very it's what I associate with like the 60s, 70s sci-fi sort of human society isolated sort of thing, which makes a lot of sense in context for this. So I think they do it a few more times in classic Trek. So it's this very particular, I don't know how to describe it, like clean American English without influences. And I think that that's why they do it this way. So there's no regional twang in any it. Yeah. The dude from Logan's Run is British. Yeah. But everybody who is American speaks with this very particular over-enunciated American, like, very flat American that I associate with old Hollywood and very specific kinds of sci-fi. I did not notice this at all. Kim, I am doubtful of whether you watched this episode at all. Hey, hey, hey. Did I not just correct you on a plot point? <laughs> plot point, plot point. Okay, so... seconds. <laughs> they say, oh, you must be visitors. We should call the lawgivers, which we... You are not of the body. No, they don't say you're not of the no, body the yet. Does, he's, he turns to Roger and he's like, Roger, they're not of the body. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> we should call the cops. Shun the unbelievers. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, the lawgivers are infallible. How dare you doubt them? So there's a very like weird religious overtones to this right away. Um, that you can't doubt the lawgivers. They know everything. Landrew can hear it, hear it all. You're very strange. Um, ends with Kirk's face saying, I just hate all this so much yeah. and I want to go home. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Which you definitely could. Like, they oh, can yeah. beam out of there at all. Yeah. At, at all in any time. Why they stay? Well, they're still missing a crewman. Yes. Oh, I suppose. But O'Neill is a bad actor. They can do without him. <laughs> so, we go down to the street where apparently things might be winding down. There are a lot of teeth in this festival. Well, Kirk- this is where Kirk is standing at the window. He stays up all night watching, watching. this. Yeah. Yes. Wouldn't you? Probably just to make sure they weren't coming inside. I yeah, I think he's kind of he's standing out, and then he gives everyone essentially a job. Like, okay, you're gonna yeah. do this. We're gonna think this out. Everyone has a job. Everybody. Kirk is Spock. Our job is to just think it out, and so they do. They just kind of stare at things. <laughs> and then at twelve o'clock or six o'clock, 6 because apparently I can't read a watch. Um, everyone freezes, and they pick themselves up, and they very calmly. Go back about their lives. Oh, it's so unsettling. I thought that was really well done. Oh, yeah. Really yeah, creepy. Oh, the, the extras did amazing work in this episode. Oh, yeah. Like, I hope they got paid a little bit of bonus. Me too. Like, craft services gave them a cupcake at the end of the day because mm-hmm. they, did, they did good work. They did. Um, Spock is sleeping with his eyes open. Anyone else catch that? No, I did not. Yeah, no. yeah he sleeps with his eyes open. Well, he may not have slept. I mean, Vulcan's... Oh, drunk. no, he was asleep. He was. Kirk had to wake up. He's like a lizard. With vigorous <laughs> shaking. 
Um, so Lindstrom goes down to Reger and continually asks, what kind of father are you yeah. to leave your daughter out to be assaulted? Because she comes in just... See, this was another thing that didn't make any sense to me. If they're all supposed to be, like, super calm and part of the body or whatever, yeah. why was she so upset? I think she had just experienced there 12 hours of trauma and was just unable to deal with it. Other than through screaming. All conditioning has its limits. And we don't know that once people kind of calmly stand up and go back to their house, that they don't spend the rest of the day just, like, screaming it out. Yeah. Um, but just, like, on the street, everything remains calm. Mm. And he, uh, Regger seems to think this is perfectly natural, that she's yeah. upset after it. Oh, yeah. Because um, it's been a hell of a night. Can you imagine what kind of hangover you'd have after that? Jesus. Yeah. So finally Kirk's like, well, who is this Landrew and what the hell? What the fuck just happened? And Regra's like, oh, you're not of the body. Yeah. Definitely. I was pretty sure. Now I'm really sure. You are an archon. And so Hayden Hackham, I think I actually got his name right this time, shows up with some of the lawgivers. AKA the creepy guys in robes are bad monks, mm-hmm. and then proceeds to demonstrate one of the worst special effects of all <laughs> time. Anyone want to dissuade me from that? Uh, what was the special effect? So he holds out his rod. The weird little firework thing. And out of his rod there comes a firecracker that just essentially puts smoke in the room. <laughs> that is all. It is supposed to uh, neutralize the other so guy. Th- yeah, so there was Redger, and then there was the nicer old guy, and then there was the other guy who was like, we gotta call the fucking cops. That was Hayden Hackham. Yeah. And nicer old guy whose name I have forgotten. He had a name? He, had he a did. Name. Really? Tom? Oh, yeah. Tom. Nobody in this Tom. episode had a name. Yeah. Kim, I doubt that you watched this episode. I watched this episode for enough to have, like, nine pages of notes about Tamar. how much I didn't Tamar. care. Okay. Yeah. Because Tamara was the one who was like, are these guys archons? Um, and he was, and right before the lawgivers show up, he's like, you guys gotta fucking hide. They're coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the lawgivers unfortunately show up and shoot Tamar with the with firecracker. The worst special effect. Yeah. And he of goes down. All time. All time. Yeah. He is dead. And the lawgivers turn to Kirk and Co. and say, you're going to be absorbed, uh, for the good of all. Landrew's gentle. <laughs> Apparently not so much. At this point, I was like, ooh, those cloaks definitely have bonnets. Definitely. And they keep saying, oh, Landry is so gentle and good. Except for the part where he just they just straight up yeah. killed a guy I'm with gonna, smoke. Yeah. Um, and Kirk says, no. And they fall to pieces. <laughs> yeah, they are completely thrown by this. They kind of turn to each other and go, uh, what did you know? Oh, shit. <laughs> this was my fa- this was probably my favorite part where they just kind of like freeze and yeah. they got and the crew is just like let's walk behind yes. them and get away <laughs> because they have no idea how to deal with disobedience and they freeze for a minute and then they're like clearly you did not understand <laughs> and Kirk's like oh no I understood you completely yeah a just a note and they take the little pokey stab and they take a look and it's totally hollow <laughs> yeah. There's nothing there. And so they go, well, piss it. Let's go for a walk. Yeah. And so they decide to walk to a safe house. Yeah, because Regger's like, okay, they're communing. They're like, yeah, they're talking to their god or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, okay, we have a couple of minutes. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yes. My favorite part is that while they're walking through the town, Spock is clearly aggravated because everything is dirty and in havoc, (laughs) which personally offends him. Yeah. 
And so they're walking along, and Blondie is being a complete moron again. Oh, yeah. Lindstrom. Beth Lindstrom? Sure. <laughs> Everyone who is not a main character the is The sociologist. <laughs> yes. And as they're walking along trying to get to this safe house, everyone walking in the street stops. Oh, this is also extremely And Gregor says, oh no, Landry is summoning the body. And everyone in the street leans down and picks up sticks or rocks or whatever they have handy, whatever weapon they have. All in perfect, perfect unison. unison. Pick it up and start heading towards the Enterprise Slowly. Calmly. Oh, it's so... There's some really good heart music, uh, heartbeat music going on during this scene, which I really thought was great. And so there... It essentially turns into a zombie episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on top of being a mystery episode, then it turns into a zombie episode where they have to kind of, like, phaser a path out. Yeah, so they're basically... uh, Every time a group of them gets close enough, they're like, phasers on stun, wide field, and then this group of people just sort of gently crumples to the ground. Yeah. Just um, so they can clear a path. It's true. One of the crewmen definitely gets a styrofoam rock to the head. Mm-hmm. Oh, which, and- which would fell an elephant. <laughs> oh, yeah. And with, um, in, like, the last group that they stun, they find their missing crewman. Oh, yeah. And Gregor's like, oh, no, leave him behind. He is a terrible liability. Um, I think this is also the first time that we see the wide beam phaser yeah, effect where right. they're able to set it to, no, it's not just one, it doesn't just hit like one cold. person, it hits a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. at the same yeah. time. Which is convenient. That yeah. is a good phaser setting to have. Yes. Especially if you're going to go to zombie planets. Yeah, if you're going to go to a zombie planet, have something that can take out a large number of people. And so, Rekker keeps saying, you have to leave him behind because essentially he is of the body and yeah. he's going to tattle on you to Landrew. He's basically a listening device. He is. Yeah. But they don't listen and they take him down to a castle that we have definitely seen before from previous oh, yeah. episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, how many times do you really want to build a fake rock wall? Fair point. Yeah. So uh, they go into a secret passage and they find a secret room and Redger goes into the corner and this is where it starts to get really interesting for me mm-hmm. because out of the corner he pulls this covered up thing and he uncovers it and it's, I mean, it's a piece of white cardboard basically, <laughs> but the, the very clever way that they do the effects makes it look like when he takes the cloth off of it, it glows incredibly brightly and the light level in the room increases and Spock's like, huh, that's a lighting panel. And the impression we get is that this is actually some kind of reasonably advanced technology mm-hmm. that doesn't actually have a power source, so I'm pretty impressed. And we get some backstory on this planet, and it's basically, it's from the old times before Landrew, about 6,000 years ago, mm-hmm. and in about two lines, so this is actually really well done, with about two and a half lines, we get that once upon a time, this planet had much more advanced technology, and then about 6,000 years ago, something happened, and now they're controlled by an evil god. Yes, and that the Archons showed up and they were out of control and that they were pulled down from the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about a resistance that is in pods of threes, which seems... It's a cell system. In fact, I think that's how they... That's how they do it in Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Yeah. They do cells yeah. of three, you know, person, you know, two, one person on each side of you. No, you know, one person above you, one person below you. Yeah. And one person in each cell knows one person mm-hmm. in another cell, but that's all. Yeah. Because that way you can't betray the entire resistance. You can only betray yourself and one other, other person in one other cell. Hmm. Yeah. That's how they, that's how, yeah, it's a really good way of organizing. Yeah. But couldn't that eventually just lead you up to the top? Yeah, but the chances of you actually finding that many people are unlikely. They explain it in great length. The Moons are Harsh Mistress. Oh, they yeah. go through it to a fair degree in um, DS9, too, because it's the same system that Bajorans used. Yeah, but if you knew one above and one below, let's say you got oh, the person gosh, above. Oh, chart. 
And then once you got that person, they would lead you up to the other person who was above them. And you could just keep going up until you got to the top. Well, sometimes not? there's an implication that once this other cell was found, you would take yourself out of the running so that you couldn't betray anybody else. But you were still part of a three-person cell, so you would know at least two other people. Or at least one other people who hadn't been caught. So eventually you could but work your way up to the total number of people, that's assuming you could break everyone. Oh, but I could. It's still safer than knowing everyone in Resistance. Can you grab oh. that? So everybody should just stop watching this episode and go read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. That's it's actually beautiful. That's, that's a good rap, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. So while we're getting all this information about, like, there's an underground, they can't betray each other, um, O'Neill starts to wake up and Roger freaks out again. He's like, you cannot let that guy wake up. And Kirk's like, you know what? Drug him unconscious again, just on the safe side. Which you should always do. Oh, yeah. He communicates back to the ship, but apparently, and here's a part where I am going to scientifically fall to pieces, <laughs> is that heat beams, <laughs> beams, oh, heat, are being sent up to the Enterprise, which is pulling it into the planet. Mm-hmm. Heat beams. You mean plot beams. Yes, plot beams. That was the only thing. It was the only way they could keep them on the planet was yeah. to do something to the ship and force them mm-hmm. to stay. And because, this was a, because for, stupid. Yeah. Because the plot beams yes. have disabled uh, their warp engines, their impulse engines, and the transporters. Yeah, because at this point they really have absolutely no reason to stay on this planet. Yeah. They're no, like, fuck. no arc. Like, the crew of the Archon in here, everybody crazy, we found O'Neill. Like, yeah. they should le- legitimately just Let leave go. and the episode ends right here and we're yeah. fine. So, yeah. this was stupid. Yeah. No, I think, I think, plus it heat beams are stupid. Heat beams are stupid. Plot I will beams. not, I, plot beams are stupid. Mm-hmm. But I think you did have, Kim is right, that mm-hmm. you did have you to make sure another. they could not go back to the show. It also introduces a ticking clock because he's like, we have maybe 12 hours before we, before Urban Decays and crash. They are obsessed with ticking clocks on this they really show. They are. Well, especially since this one isn't actually ticking very fast because when we actually solve the problem, they've still got like six hours left. Yeah. Oh. I actually appreciate that. I, I get really frustrated when the timer stops at two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> or as in James Wan, 007 seconds. Yeah. So then oh, they, Scotty's in the captain's Scotty chair. and this, uh, yeah, it's the first time that he's in command. Yeah. Thank God somebody competent is well, controlling things. Well, a couple times he's been yes. visibly in command of the bridge, but not actually sitting in the captain's chair, which always bugs me. But, I like sitting in But the he chair. is properly sitting in the chair, so I was glad about that. Nice chair. So then... They all have a collective hallucination where bushy, mm-hmm. their bushy eyebrowed god shows up. Slash hologram. Doing some amazing cape action. And then mm-hmm. there's not just one cape. I swear to God, there's two capes. I think He's wearing all- a beautiful bronze cape dramatically draped down his front, sort of like a giant bib over a navy blue tunic dress. It's fantastic. It's, it's very shiny. His um, eyebrows are extensive. They are. And his hair is very... Not impressed with gravity. Speaking of not impressed, the Enterprise crew by this crappy hologram. Well, of course it is. It because appears on a wall. Yeah, poor Redger is, like, freaking out, like, about to pass out from panic. And the Enterprise crew is like, well, that's a shitty hologram. Yeah, it's a really shitty hologram. <laughs> that's his god. Yeah. His all-seeing, all-knowing god, who apparently appears as a hologram without any apparatus behind it. So, again, proving the point that mm-hmm. they had a very sophisticated technology yeah. at some point. Um... Still probably doesn't make it okay within the director's no, um, But he fine. shows up to lecture them, basically. He does. He says that you bring an infection. We are a world without hate, without fear, without conflict. There's no war. There's no disease, which again doesn't make any sense. Disease does not come from conflict. Um, <laughs> crime, all of these ancient evils. How is disease an ancient evil? Disease is something that is biologically created. Maybe they have like a nanoswarm that inoculates people against disease. Diseases wow. spread through... 
bad living conditions. Poverty. Like poverty, dirt. Yeah, but something like uh, meningitis can just spread through people. A yeah. cold. A cold and cold maybe, spread maybe, through people. It doesn't maybe matter how you live, you can has... always get a cold. It's stupid is what it is. Sure. <gasps> Thank you. Yes, it's stupid. It's all stupid. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying that they're... Karina agrees with No, I'm not. <laughs> Their false god is stupid. But it brings me to my recommendation of the episode, which is that everyone should read the book on immunity. <laughs> is it going to scare us? Uh, it's a fascinating look about one woman. She's about to become a new mother, and she's looking... She's a... Uh, amazing essayist looking into vaccinations for children and not just about like whether I should do it or not, but the history of vaccination, the idea of vaccination, the idea of what our body is as a system. And all throughout this episode, this is all I could think about because talking about how we view our body and as such, how do we view infection? And she talks a lot about the metaphor of a body and that if people think about their country as a body specifically, Mm -hmm. that they have a more negative view on immigration than people who don't use that metaphor because they see it as invading foreign entities coming into the body. Mm. Interesting. Fascinating. What book is this? It's On Immunity. It was... Oh, it's called On Immunity. Oh, the book is called On Immunity. Oh, okay. Yes. I thought you meant it was a book, like, lowercase On Immunity. I'm like, what's the title? <laughs> it's On Immunity. And who's on first? Him, On Immunity. But so fascinating because essentially this society has built itself entirely as a metaphor of the body. Of the body. If you're of the body, then you, um, you are, are of peace. You, you are the one who have been order. kind of sedated of order, of calm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Although, so, uh, aside public service message, vaccinate your fucking kids. <laughs> um, I thought, the other possibility is that maybe this once upon a time incredibly advanced society had already created herd immunity to such a point they already didn't have disease. No, it's a terrible metaphor. It is a terrible metaphor, but and you you're know. you're not going to get what you're not going to make any explanation for anyway. that makes any sense. But that essentially, Landry says that you are the invading foreign body, bringing these ancient evils, this disease, this conflict, this and. Kirk sees it as, like, freedom and creativity and emotions, whereas Landry's like... Sexy, sexy chaos. Sexy, sexy chaos and tight, tight pants. Um, whereas, <laughs> oh, God. Whereas Landry's like, no, like, you're destroying my perfect order and my perfect people who are ever so happy, and we have to all work towards the common good. We all work together as one society. And obviously, other than my perfect reference to immunity, this is all about... Um, Soviets. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. This is 100% about Soviets. Well, communism in general. For it is sure. about communism yeah. and this, this idea that you cannot have a perfect utopia because in order to get your perfect utopia, your yeah, peaceful utopia is that you take away free, freedom and yeah. will. Yeah. And, and individuality. And yes. they, they try to argue with the crappy hologram a couple yes. of times and they're like, oh, wait, no, this is a recording. And this is where I wrote, this sounds very Borg-like. Me too! Excellent! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this was, this, that, this was the, this was the only thing that I really got super excited about for in this episode was the idea that this was a society that, you know, had the potential to become the Borg. Yeah. And, or had the, this is the basic underpinnings that we see of the Borg. They actually mm-hmm. even have a line that's like, your individuality will be absorbed into yes. the body. Yeah. And we uh, merge into the greater merge good. into the greater And good. the only thing I heard that is they said that and I went, oh no, your biological and technological distinctiveness will, will be, be added, added to our own. own. Yeah, I got a shiver. It was, yeah, and this is, I mean, this is exactly the entire premise of the Borg Collective is that yeah. everybody, it's, 
individuals operating as one unit. And they even talk about this with like, um, you see, you see the, the lawgivers, they freeze and they're stopped because they're getting instruction from the mm, head. Yeah. And that's the thing you see with the queen, with the, uh, with the Borg is that they are, they're a larger collective unit. They all individual parts function for the whole and they are controlled by a queen. They have a, like a directing force. And that, like, and it's all the, the whole techno. They're all. This is all about technology and computer driven. And we never really get a single definitive explanation for. Like, we get allusions and we get suggestions and we get hints and we get legends. But where the Borg come from? But we never get a definite. This is what happened. Yes, this is where which is came one from. of the great things about yeah. the Borg is oh, yeah. we never find out exactly how they started, where they came from. This could happen to you. Yeah. So, and I mean, so like this. This for me felt like. I, yeah, the society could turn into the Borg. Yeah, absolutely. If they, if they, you know, reintegrated, you know, got their individual, uh, individual, individuality back. Yeah. Started getting happy with their technology again, then decided, you know, what would be great? Integrate our technology and our collectivism <laughs> and create the Borg. There's a really interesting sort of flip in, 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 because this is clearly about communism being scary and evil and, and the, there's 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 a fair amount of well, aren't you glad that you live in America where nothing is like yes this? yeah um, jingoism going on the Borg on the other hand are they drive home with a fairly unsubtle club that assimilation is the, the horror it's it's the shadow in the dark it's the scariest thing that can happen to a culture is that everyone becomes assimilated everyone becomes the same which is actually in a lot of ways, societally, culturally, the opposite of the message from, I mean, not like the message of the particular episode, but the, the national consciousness position from which this story was written. Because the melting pot, the melting pot, like yeah. the Borg are the, where the melting pot is the boogeyman. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this episode is very, very, America's so great. Yeah. No, cause I mean, that, that's what the Borg do is they take. Yeah. New ideas, new technology, new everything, add it and create, add it to what they already have to create new and better improvements for their entire Borg society. Where everyone is exactly the same. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting when we get to the Borg, when we can talk about this in contrast with the Borg and what was happening at the time because this is obviously communism in the cold war but i'm going to be i'm not going to do it now but i'm going to be really interested when we get to the board to sort of look at what was happening in the world at the time the borg were being written mm-hmm. were being mm-hmm. broadcast because star trek is obviously as everyone knows as you guys i'm sure know is generally very reflective it's like stories written from the headlines except a sociological lecture <laughs> yeah it is Interesting. And I mean, it, it taps onto the one part of communism that everything must be sacrificed to the greater good. Mm-hmm. And Kirk's argument is that what is always sacrificed, always, is free will. Yeah. That there's Slash no rugged individualism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's no way of getting there without sacrificing the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he does some really sexy slumping. Yes. <laughs> Uh, he also starts to narrate. Oh my god! Oh no! There's this really loud, like, supersonic whine, and everyone passes <gasps> Yeah, it. sexy slump. And when we cut back, it's in the midst of a log entry. A present tense yeah. captain's log when he's unconscious. I hated it. I wanted to 
cry. I can only assume that this is like pasted over because he recorded. I don't know. This is no how idea. powerful his mind is. Yes. That <sighs> even while unconscious, he can dictate to a starship which is floating yep. above the planet, Fine. which is attacked by heat rays. He can make his lock <sighs> yeah. entry. Even though he doesn't have his uh, communicator. Because they when they wake up, everything's gone yeah, and they're locked in a cell. So, like, in the past, like, at the beginning of the series, we were really critical of the voiceovers and the captain's logs, which were, yes. like, in past tense and weird. And, and they've how actually, are they making this? Yeah, they've actually been mostly coherent and logical since then, since we've gotten into the sort of the newer sure. episodes. This is a relapse. This was bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I was so mad. It was a very odd place to have a log entry. It's like, log entry. What's happening? But you're you're asleep. Yeah. How how are you narrating this? But so they wake up and McCoy and O'Neill and Guard Sure, whatever. Are gone. <gasps> okay, so here's another thing. Yes, I Kim. did not notice that they were supposed to be on a new set at this point. I was I actually wrote that to a different room. Guys, it looks very it's, it's very, exactly the same. I think it might actually be the same set and they just moved one wall. It's yes. a yeah. It's there, also there are torches. There were no torches, in the but they were supposed yeah. to have completely changed yeah. locations. But for a second, it wasn't really. Took me a they're long they're time in the underground tunnels of badness. Yeah, whatever. But for the record, they are in a different room, um, and they're locked in because Kirk checks all the doors. So they're they're definitely trapped. Mm-hmm. Kirk is like, maybe we can try the little like, hey hey, we disobedientize you. And Spock is like, uh, no. That's not going to work. No, because he, I think they already have a sense that it's a computer. <laughs> oh, yeah. They do. In fact, they actually say, like, Spock's like, yeah, that's not going to work again because they clearly learn. And Kirk's like, like a computer? Like when they get insufficient data? Like a computer? Yeah. When a computer has insufficient data? Like a computer? Yeah. It's a computer. And in walk the log. Oh, I love this so bones. much. Who has clearly taken the Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joy to you. Uh, and he is creepy. Yeah, Absorbed Bones does not have a sense of humor. Well, he's Absorbed very bones. jolly. He was certainly more pleasant than regular bones. <laughs> yeah. Probably less of an alcoholic. In fact, I think being absorbed by the body was the best thing that ever happened to McCoy. <laughs> Health-wise, very possibly. Yes. He also doesn't remember them. So apparently being absorbed not only Kool-Aidifies you, but wipes your memory, too. <laughs> it wipes you. Yeah. Yeah. You're just... Essentially, you are just a body. You're just an extension. You're just a body. You are. You are you're of the body. body. <laughs> but you're just a body. You have no... Wow. I, I did write down here, though, that Jim tries to get Bones to remember by violent shaking. Yeah. Well, it works on everyone else. It's true. Bones, in a really good mood, is actually genuinely unsettling. I'd say DeForest Kelly killed it. Oh, yeah. He did a um, good job. He I mean, was he usually very does. frightening. Um, just because, again, he's not grumpy. Um... And then pantyhose on their faces, the lawmakers show up and they're like, they're going to take them out one by one. And absorb them. And absorb them. And so we take Kirk first and then we get, again, one of my favorite tropes of all time, which is bondage Kirk. Yeah, I thought you'd be happy with Kirk strapped I to the wall. Was. Yeah, I may have made a note to that effect. Someone's going to like this. And I did. Yeah. And a guy in an orange robe comes in and... Comptoria guy! Yeah, basically. Which is my amazing Stargate reference of the day. Good job. Um, uh, he's wearing a giant orange moon Very yeah. orange. And he sends the lawmaker... Lawmakers? Lawmaker, yeah, I, sure whatever. enough. The brown robey guy's off. Um, bonnet heads. Bonnet heads. To fetch Spock. Yes. Happy commuting, everyone! Yeah. And they grab Spock and bring him back to the same room and... 
Kirk has apparently been absorbed because he's like, joy to you, friend, and it's very unsettling. Also, he looks really good when he's been Kool-Aided. <laughs> he's very smiley. He's got a good smile. I, I will not deny this. Thank you. I'm um, glad that someone else recognizes that Shatner very, is not a hideous human no, being. No, he's very charming, and he does a very, very good shiny grin. Um, but orange robe guy, as the as Kirk gets taken back to the cell, he um, you know locks Spock up to the wall, and he waits for the lawgivers to leave, and then he's like, "No, it's cool. It's cool. I'm cool," and he lets him go because um, he's the other yeah man in the three man plan yeah. And apparently there's some kind of prophecy, and they're yes. like, you are the ones. You are the archons. Bark's like, no, we're not. He's like, whatever, whatever you call yourselves. Who cares? Yeah. I did not understand this bit about prophecy. I think it's kind of, I liked it. That I it did. was vague enough that at some point in this resistance, because there are certain people that absorption into the body doesn't work. Yeah, and most of the people in the resistance are people whom it didn't work yes, on. Yes, and so they I have to fake it until they make it. Yeah, yes. theory about this. Okay, so they said, um, Redger says, when he tells them about the ship having come 100 years ago, yes. that the people on the Archon were resistant to the conditioning. Yeah. So most of them were eventually absorbed. And because, the ones who weren't were killed. Yeah, but... Think about it as the precipitating event being the ship crashing. But what if the precipitating event was the ship crashing, the ones who couldn't be absorbed with, like, the second level that they're using on the Enterprise crew absorption method being absorbed into the society and having children? Exactly. And, and the people, people who are resistant. now in resistance are people who have inherited a resistance oh, to the conditioning. I really like that. Plus, right? the Archons would say, yeah. someone's going to come Someone's going to come one day. Yeah. Oh. Hence the prophecy. Right? This episode is A+. Plus. Right? A+. Plus. A++++. Plus plus plus. Yeah. So, uh, Kumtrai guy gives them back their weapons, and mm-hmm. Spock goes back to the little cave of wonders, and is acting all like... Yeah. <laughs> Joy to you, friend. Yeah. Uh, Kirk is also doing some amazing acting. Mm-hmm. And Spock does a lot of, like, poetry reading here. Yeah, because basically they're now trying to, like... Cause they, they have to keep acting like they're absorbed because Bones has genuinely been absorbed. So yes. they have to keep going from corner to corner to get out of earshot. As uh, McCoy is grinning eerily at them. And yeah. Bog says, I love this line so much. You know, it's a soul, a soul society with no spark. It has the peace of the factory. Yeah. Tranquility of the machine. Definitely not a communism that. reference. Definitely no. And so Kirk has decided that he has had enough of their god and he's going to kill it. Yeah. Yeah. He's The plug must be pulled mm-hmm. because it's a computer. Yeah. And I think even Spock is it? He's like, but what about the prime directive yeah. um, of non-interference? Of, yeah. And Kirk says... It only applies to a living, growing culture. Do you think that applies here? Okay, fine. I don't know. We're we- selectively obeying the Prime Directive. Okay, but here's the deal. The actual people themselves who are of the body, they're not people. They're controlled by a machine. Okay, so then this brings me back to my question about the daughter. Yeah. Is she of the body or is she free like her father? Because if she's of the body, she would not be getting upset and crying. I think she's But free. is she free, then why wasn't she like hidden or whatever, somehow not participating and exercising because, free will? Because like, uh, this I is think, what... 
I think that people would be watching if she didn't participate yeah. in the festival. And when Kirk and Coke showed up, it was very strange yeah. that they were and at very the suspect. And and he seems regretful when he's like, "Your daughter is out," and he's like, "I know it is the will of Landry." And he seems genuinely regretful about it. But also, they say specifically that of, of the Enterprise crew, people who have showed up, they are not old enough to be excused. Like this is going to fucking draw attention to us. Yeah. So I think that she knew it was going to happen because she is not absorbed, is not of the body. But if she didn't go out there, it would draw attention to the entire resistance. And I think um, because we got that subplot cut about the romance, where we would have got to know her a little bit more, that it could be possible that one of the things that they were going to explore is that she is not absorbed. Yeah. But had to go through with it to kind of keep up appearances to make sure that she wasn't, and the resistance wasn't caught out. But... Uh, Kim, I know how much you hate Kirk makes exceptions to rules. Yeah. But I would argue that the people here are not actually people. Not the way they are currently living. And anyway, I don't think the Prime Directive applies in this case because they were clearly an advanced culture beforehand. That is a bit of a wiggly issue because they aren't right now. But my argument is that they are not actually people right now. That is also... I think both apply. Well, if I was in a court of law... uh, Well, we don't get the the nuts and bolts of the Prime Directive in this century for quite a long time. But later on, the line is basically, do they have warp drive? Yeah. We don't have any idea about this culture. Yeah. We we don't know really anything about them. They can pull starships from the sky. And they apparently have technology that can mentally condition people at a distance. I think when my problem with Kirk in this episode came in was when... The guys who are sort of free mm-hmm. um, get to a point where they're like, no, this is actually too much for us. We want to leave it the way it is for a while longer. Well, only, we're one, t- only one person. No, both, terri- of them, both of them, both of them were out. like, we're fucking terrified. We don't want to do this right now. And Kirk's just like, eh, too bad. I'm destroying your god. But he has a point. Yeah. Kirk- they could never win. No. Well, that's the There's thing. no way. The, the thing, though, is there is room now. Okay, if Kirk really cares about the society and freeing them and whatever, he knows he knows two people who are not absorbed by the body, who yeah. are free, who can think and make decisions. Sure. And they're at a point, though, they're like, no, 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 we're not ready. We talked about this. Like, even though we've been talking about this, now that the time has come, we're not ready. Wouldn't it be Kirk's responsibility to step back and say, okay, I can accept that you're not ready yet, and Starfleet is going to be here, or the Federation or whatever is going to be here, to try and support you to find a place where you are ready to go through. Except. But here's the thing. They are putting the entire life and hands of a culture on who people. Well, that's the other thing. Totally ignoring everyone else who is being controlled against the, their will. Well, that's the other thing, though, is if, if there are two people or if there are three people, are there more? Well, they've told and, them that there are, and yes, there's no so, reason to doubt them. But so, we don't know that there are. So, there could no. be three. Yeah. Period. So, well, they, and that was sort of my other thing here, is that Kirk is just like, he only, he knows three people on the entire planet who have a problem with the way things are running. Two of them are actively saying to him, let's not do this right now. Okay, but We're I, too scared. I, and that's a point where, I I mean... I have two things to say in response to that. Yeah. But One, if, to step back and just maybe take a survey of everybody else who's free. But How they, they cannot. Gonna, they can't because they're going to be murdered in about five minutes. That's their only way out. That's, their own, that's the ship's only way out is to defeat Landrew. And, and here's my two specific objections. One, 
their objection is not coming from a rational place. The last minute, completely emotional, irrational panic reaction. Because it's their god. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we've actually made a rational decision to, to just postpone this to like next no, week or something. No, it's that if we do it, you will kill us. Yeah, it's holy crap. I suddenly remember that I used to believe in Lander as a god. Yeah. It's an irrational reaction. And second, remember how Crean said that they're not really people. I would extend that to the point where they are not, they are not like legally cognizant. I don't think that they are capable of consenting in either direction because they are being controlled. Yes, they're being controlled by a computer. Their yeah. brains are, again, they're not people. Their brains yeah. have been hijacked. They have no individuality, no thought yeah. outside of what has been programmed into them. Yeah. So they're essentially just husks. They are, at best, an entire planet of people who are in a constant state of assault. Hmm. And you can't just, because A, they are not like mentally capable of making decisions most of the time. Certainly the people who aren't who are absorbed are not, I would say, capable of making rational decisions for their own well-being because they're not in control of their actions. Yeah. And the people who are, the only people they have encountered who who have exhibited any sense of, like, mental culpability, mental capability, the ability to make rational decisions, have said, holy shit, this is the worst thing you have to save us. You're the only ones who can. And in fact, hey, here's this whole subculture underground thing that's been going on for a century based solely and planning on the fact that you were going to come back to save us and do exactly what you're asking us to do. I don't think they had a choice. I mean, obviously they didn't have a choice because if they don't defeat Landry, they're never getting off this planet. That whole ship no, of people is going to die. No, but ethically and morally, I don't think but that even they if have that a weren't true, Yeah, even if that weren't true, these are people who are being constantly tortured and assaulted and controlled. I don't think that you could leave people like that. I don't think that they can make the decision that, oh, well, they're happy the way things are because the people who because are capable of saying anything. that. Yeah, the people who are capable of saying that can't make that decision either because the majority of the planet can't make a decision of any kind. Like, you can't make a decision for the people who... No one can. The only people in this equation who can do anything about this are the only ones who have to do something about this. Logistically, physically, and ethically. Yeah. So, they decide like they get a little bit more background information Mm -hmm. they're constantly kind of like peeling back what happened there was a war the world was destroying itself landry was this leader six thousand years ago who essentially took everyone in hand Mm -hmm. um and then took everyone in hand and he took them back to a simpler time and that it's it's very complex so he was a person, he was definitely a leader who happened, he kind of smoothed things out for people, but then it went a little bit too far. And we don't know at which point it went too far. I feel like when he downloaded himself into a computer. Yeah. <laughs> and that they just, yeah, the Comtria guy and uh, Gerber, Gerber Daisy. Redger. Redger. Um, start freaking out and Kirk says freedom's not a gift it has to be earned and I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming into freedom whether you like it or not and then you can figure out what you want to do also at one point Kirk tells him to act like men yes he does (laughs) of course he does so they knock out the lawgivers grab their cloaks look ridiculous in Mm -hmm, them mm -hmm. and then they take them to the geometric triangle room the hall of audiences the hall of audiences which is for all intents and purposes, they think where Landry 
quote, lives, unquote. Yeah, as far as they know. Yeah. And so Landrew shows up and says, I'm very sorry, but you are going to have to be obliterated. Yeah. Your infection is very strong, and everyone you touched must be excised because this body is a closed system. Yeah. Uh, this computer has never heard of Asimov's laws. And <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk takes a phaser, blasts into the wall, and... Surprise! It's a computer! Who would have guessed? Um, everyone! Everyone! <laughs> Even Kirk, who is aware that he's living in a sci-fi universe, knows that it's a computer. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it had to be, says Kirk. Yeah. Because it's a machine's idea of perfection. Yeah. And I kind of get that. Mm-hmm. That everything works kind of turning over wonderfully one after tick, another. Tick ones to zeros, zeros to ones, yeah. Yeah. Landrew disables their phasers, because apparently there is, you know, the recording switched off now, Landrew's actually talking to them. Yes. Well, Landrew slash the computer. Yeah. And Landrew himself died, but I am all that he was, and... But not his soul! Blah, blah, blah. You're a machine! Irrelevant, says machine! <laughs> <laughs> and so, at this point... Kirk, and I think Spock helps out a little oh, bit yeah. too, mm-hmm. argue the computer to explode itself. Yeah. I've what never have you seen done c- to I- serve the potential of the body? Because he's basically saying, because Landrew is like, my purpose is to serve the body, is to protect the body, is to keep the body healthy, and Kirk and Spock are like, yeah, but you're actively harming the body. Yes, the body is dying, you're destroying it. Yeah. With no, with no creativity, no choice, there is no life, so the body is dying. My yeah. summation of this is, was you destroyed the body with all of your tranquility. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> My god, it's like the episode, it's like serenity, all over again. Basically, yes. <sighs> they just A lot of things came down. from this episode. God damn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joss Whedon, you have much to answer for. Mm. And I, I think I live. Again, this brings us back to the episode with the people are robots too. Computers are constantly thinking that they are alive. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. Although almost always in classic track, it ends with them going, mm, no, it wasn't alive to begin with. <laughs> Although I think in this case, there is still some wiggle room. Like, whether it's an AI or not, because they act... This is the first time where they say Landry put himself in a machine. And people say it differently depending on who's saying it. But remember Dr. Dr. Delusional? He thought he put himself into the computer. Yeah, but he was just a copy, and they actually explicitly say that. In this case, we never get, like, a total... Like, they argue Landry into saying that the reason he's not, like, qualified to run a society is because he's a machine. But you remember in The Scorpion Rules by Aaron Bow, which is a great book. Um, you, you read that all the way to the end, right? No, I had to return to the library. Oh, dear. I won't, should I spoil you? Yeah, give me a... So basically, one of the things that happens to AIs in that book, because in the Scorpion Rules, um, the world is run by AIs, because humans are apparently really bad at it. Who basically... Too true. Yeah, so basically, if human countries start wars with each other, um, the AIs kill hostages, which are like the the children of the ruling families of each country. Um, but those AIs were originally people who were uploaded into oh. computers who became AIs. And one of the things that is constantly talked about, it's never doubted that they are sentient, but there's a lot of discussion over what being, for all intents and purposes, a computer, even though it is an actual personality, it is an actual sentience, it is an actual mind, that went into the machine, but how human do you stay the longer you are in a machine? Mm. So I think that there is some wiggle room for Landrew here, because if he 
used some kind of wildly futuristic whatever to put he himself, put himself in on machine. a turntable and turn himself right round, right round like a yeah. record baby. So either he is simply a fact for fact copy of memories, like what's his face in the yeah. no side shirt episode, Doctor Delusional. Yeah, or he is an actual person who was impressed upon a computer who over time became less and less for lack of a better word human and that was why the society became stagnant and harmful to itself because the computer cannot grow yeah you're stuck the way you always are and so you start thinking like a computer because that's where you live I think that the argument I think that from what we actually see I think it could go both ways okay I have a question and this is kind of going backwards a little bit here but in the face of everything we've just heard from Landrew that he's you know creating this tranquil society of peace and love and getting rid of war and violence what is the function of the red like the red hour the red hour in the festival yeah what purpose does it serve in the society why does it happen what like why if Landrew is controlling everybody why does he release everybody into a violent 12 hour orgy I do not know and that's that's probably for me the point that is making this whole thing now that I'm thinking about it like I don't fucking care it's because that makes no sense I feel that like to me, me makes sense. It kind of does. You'd get all that because they are still human, and I would argue that no one has sex in this society, <laughs> so there is no continuation of the species. So That's for horrifying at a number of levels, you're welcome. You are absolutely welcome. Ugh. Is that either this is a way to make sure that the society propagates and that there are humans to go on, or that all of that aggression, all of that anger, is kind suppressed. of clamped down. Well, sweaty face has to be McGee seems to suggest that. Think about the festival as pissing. Is that even though you're taking in goods and your body is functioning, (laughs) you can hold it. You have to release poisons and toxins from your body at some point, as you demonstrated for us, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Please talk about my bathroom break. (laughs) You're welcome. During this episode. So. I tend to think of it as a release of the poisons or the a toxins out of body. Yes, Pressure a valve. release valve that you release, and then you're able to clamp it back up again <laughs> oh my to become God. the closed system again. So that is my understanding of what the festival is. It's because I can't release. see anyone, like, the machine forcing them to have sex. No. And, unless it was like, this is 3 o'clock on Thursday, everyone has sex to make the babies. <laughs> Well, unless they do it artificially, like they do it in the giver. That also. Anyways, anyway. so the computer blows up, yep. screaming, help me! Yep. And Kirk essentially goes, well, you're on your own now. Hope you're up to it. That's the actual line. It is. Fuck all of y'all. Back out of here. We're out. Space cowboy, out. Uh, except they leave behind useless... Uh, sociologist what's his face (laughs) who I think again this is like a callback to that deleted subplot is that he was in love with the girl he stays behind because yeah yeah. Um, I think he says to come try a guy you need to look for another job yeah (laughs) (laughs) Kirk has had enough of this planet yeah fuck this planet let's go exactly Sulu comes back to work he was up on the bridge essentially like looks at the guy who's in his seat and says get the fuck out of my chair (laughs) Except in an incredibly genial, smiling sort of way. Yeah, of course. As is his want. And then comes one of our classic Star Trek, like, episode quotas <laughs> of that Kirk says, you'd make a splendid computer. Thanks, says Spock. 
The end. Clearly no. not. Well, it doesn't end then. They get a phone call from the surface. Oh, yeah. People from... are having emotions. No, they're having domestic quarrels and fights. Sounds promising, says Kirk. Sounds awesome. like the kind of place I want to be. And Spock is like, humans so violent and crazy, and Kirk's, I can't remember the exact... He says, we're just lucky, I guess. Yeah. Well, no, man, the thing was, mankind has always wished for peace and security. We never got it. We're just lucky, I guess. Yeah. <sighs> I love this episode. <laughs> I love it so much. Could you tell? Really? <laughs> I think it's great. I think yeah. the director did a hell of a job. I oh, think yeah. all the actors, including the actor who made a cameo in oh, it, made so creepy. a really did a really good job. Um, Kim, your performance with the episode? No. <laughs> no. Really? No. Who do you think did a bad job on this episode? I think everybody did a normal job. Nobody stood out. <laughs> I am still convinced you did not watch this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing you say will actually convince me that you did. No, I did watch it, and I was completely, perfectly, 100% indifferent to the entire thing. It happened. It was there. (sighs) Kim's not invited on our next podcast. Ari, uh, performance of the episode? I'm actually going to give it to Shatner. Yes! Yes! Take that! Shatner! Shatner for the win! Why? Give me um, reasons. Describe lovingly Kirk in bondage. <laughs> um, I think that his sort of thought process throughout the entire episode was very clear. Like, from the very beginning to the very end. You could see the whole plot of the episode. Like, exactly when he worked things out and how things were worked out. And mm. where everybody else was. Like, the other Enterprise crew. Like, figuring what was going on, what they were going to do. I thought that was very clear, mostly from Shatner throughout this episode. A little a little bit. A little bit from Nimoy. But yeah. it was mostly... This was mostly a Shatner episode. Yeah. Um, and his very calm and methodical problem solving. Which I always enjoy in Star Trek. Yes. His giant member. And I assume Crane. Uh, actually, really, I am going to throw a bit of a curveball here. Really, I'm giving performance of the episode to DeForest Kelly. Oh yeah, he he didn't have much to do, but by God, he knocked that out of the park. He made a really convincingly creepy zombie. He did. He made an amazing friendly zombie, and also there's the part where he figures out that Kirk and Spock are yeah. faking it. Yeah. <laughs> Does not appreciate it. Flips and out. starts strangling Kirk, screaming, yeah. You're not on the body! Yeah. Which I thought was very enjoying. And that's not just because I like Kirk and Bondage. <laughs> I thought he did wonderful. Um, life lesson to be learned, Kim. Um, outfits are important, so dress for success. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sulu would agree with you. Uh, Ari? Uh, computers are really bad at running a society. Fine. Uh, I think my life lesson would be Comptroller! That's going to be a lot funnier if you guys have seen Stargate. And um, totally nonsensical. We had eight ladies whose faces I actually saw, mm. and two people of color, but of course, again, that was Uhura and Sulu. Mm. And there was uh, one in the background as well. Oh, really? There in, was. Apparently oh, I was the, the only ship. person watching this entire episode. Well, to be fair, we didn't spend very much time on the ship in this episode. Okay, so three people of color. I don't know how many deaths, but I'm sure it was as numerous. Far, no, actually, as far as I could tell, only one person died. Yeah. It was the old dude, old white oh, dude, who got, who got 
sparked and smoked out as far as I could but tell. smoked out. Yeah. Everybody, everybody else just got repeatedly punched in the face. And then I, I assume we're not counting uh, Computer Landrew as a person. No, he was already dead. So, uh, I yeah. don't know. You'd have to go through the rest of the episode That's and true. decide That's where true. we fall yeah. on that. Yeah. Person, not person, computer, not computer. I feel like an, like I said before, I feel like an asshole for how much I didn't like this episode. Like, <laughs> I just didn't, I just like didn't care. I was completely indifferent to it. I thought it was boring and and I feel like I mean well the thing is though is I usually have some kind of emotion and some sort of thoughts about an episode and like I've shown that I can love an episode beyond (laughs) all reason and I've shown that I have like actual arguments about why I don't like Kirk this one I just did not give a shit I don't know Kim's a computer (laughs) (laughs) crap guys we gotta go hide (laughs) into our underground bunker Bunker. Wait, wait, before you go hide in your underground bunker, um, if you enjoy Queer as Folk, be sure to check out the Thumpa Thumpa podcast this week, because the episode that I co-hosted will be airing. Well, should have aired probably yesterday. Ooh, so thumpathumpapodcast.tumblr.com, and I know it's available on iTunes, and I think Podbean? Is that a thing? Yes. yes. Sure. <laughs> so, for, so for that Venn diagram, people who like Star Trek... And also, like Queer as Folk, there is a crossover for you. Or if you're like Kim and hate Star Trek, <laughs> but also love Queer as Folk, there is your sweet spot. Good right news for so many people. I'm really excited to get to Next Generation. Me too. <laughs> so excited. We only have, like, what, like... 10 years? 42 episodes to go Some, or something? Oh, 60-something. 60? 60? Oh! 30 episodes a season. Something like, yeah. Oh my god. 30 episodes of pure, solid <laughs> gold. Oh god. Um, if you like this podcast, please go on iTunes and give us all the stars. Because we really appreciate oh, that. Yeah. The, like the stars in Star Trek? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although that's like an individual star, like just... Shatner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We're also on social media. All that information is on our website at notsomuchtheneutralzone.com. Really? Yeah. No, good on us. Mm-hmm. I know we have a Tumblr. I know I follow that. There's not much on the Tumblr. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to the bunkers! <laughs>